Yeah, good morning, everyone. It really is wonderful to have you with us today. Really glad that you can join us. As a church this week, we launched the Take a Step initiative, um, which if you've been with us over any number of weeks, hopefully you'll know that it's an initiative that looks to encourage and equip each one of us in how we can tell others about Jesus. And the starting point for it, session one, was really focused around the question of why. Why should it be that we tell others about Jesus? And the basis of this first session actually comes down to our identity in Christ. It's because of who we are. Now, identity is it's a fairly broad uh, idea. It's a, a fairly broad thing. You know, when we talk about identity, we're talking about who you are, how you think about yourself, the way in which you're viewed by others, uh, the characteristics that define you. So it's a really broad uh, really broad idea, if you like, and which is why when we ask questions like, or asking questions like, who are we, or who am I, are really important questions to ask. And the Bible reveals to us that when we come to truly follow Jesus, there are some fundamental changes that take place in terms of who we are in Christ. And so for this session one of Take a Step, that's really what the focus was on. And if I just read to you very quickly part of what the first uh, session from the session notes said, it says, for our first step, we are going to explore our identity together in Jesus. There are some wonderful truths throughout the word of God that underline who we are as God's chosen children. Yet although we might know them in our heads, we sometimes struggle to carry the truth of them in our hearts. And with that in mind and with that said, this morning we are really excited to be starting a new series, a new teaching series that we have called Identity. Uh, and as the name should suggest, we're going to be thinking about our identity. We're thinking about who we are in Christ. Now, for the time that I have with us this morning, I want to spend a few moments just kind of introducing the series just explaining a little more about how that's going to work. And then we're going to open the Bible and we're going to start asking this question of who are we? And hopefully I'll provide an answer, a possible answer to that question. So this series, our identity series, as I say, it's kind of really come out of this first session of Take a Step. It's going to be running parallel to the Take a Step initiative that we're doing. We're going to be running it over the next nine weeks and we are going to be looking at this question of identity, who we are in Christ. I think it's so helpful um, what was said in those notes that uh, although we might know the truths of what the word of God says about who we are, we might know it in our heads, we sometimes struggle to carry the truth of them in our hearts. And so really the, the thinking behind this series, our hope is that it gives us that opportunity to just think things through, to just dwell on them. These might be truths that you've never heard before. These might be truths that you feel like you've heard many, many times before and are quite familiar with. But actually, we want to give ourselves that time to think upon them and to, to unpack them a little. In the Take a Step Notes, there are a number of truths that were, were laid out for us to think upon, and they came under three main headings. The first is the truth that we are accepted, secondly, that we are secure, and thirdly, that we are significant. And so we're going to spend, again, over these nine weeks, we're going to look at some of the truths under each of those headings and really give ourselves some time to thinking upon them and to exploring them together. And really, the, the, the thinking behind it and the reason what we want to 
what we hope will come out of this time over these weeks together is firstly that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know that we've made that decision to live with Jesus as king of our lives. Uh, We see this as it's good to declare the truths of who we are in him. And as I've already mentioned, it's good that we give ourselves time to an, an opportunity to dwell upon those truths and let them really take deep root. And particularly if there are some of those that we feel we know in our heads, but we don't really know in our hearts. It's my prayer and our hope that over the course of these weeks, they would really take root in our hearts as well and would be able to to live in the good of those truths. The second uh, reason is this, or the second thing that we're hoping to come through is that we've been called, we are called, this will come up as part of our, our identity, we are ambassadors for Christ. We've been given the message of reconciliation to share with other people. And so actually it's good for us to know the breadth of what it is that we have to share, that we have to share with others. And so I hope over these weeks, as we focus some more on these uh, questions of identity, we'll know a little more and understand more of what it is that we have to share with others. And then thirdly, if you're connecting in with us, if you've uh, been, been able to join with us and you know that you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus, we really hope that these next few weeks just uh, are really helpful. Whether you've got questions about who God is, questions about Christianity, questions about Jesus, whatever it may be, we hope that these weeks will really just provide you with uh, a real picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, not just in terms of what we do or, or what we're called to do, but actually who you are when you are in Christ. And so we hope kind of on those three levels, really, uh, we feel there's a lot for us to engage with uh, and there'll be a lot for us to take from this time together over these few weeks. So that's just a little overview, really, of the series. I'm sure we'll unpack a little bit more of that over coming weeks. But let's come now. Let's open the word. If you've got your Bible with you, may I encourage you to turn to Colossians and chapter one. If you've got a Bible with you, please do uh, find it, but it will come up on the screen in a minute as well. So don't worry if you haven't got a Bible with you at the minute. But just to set the context, really, of these verses that we're going to read, this is a letter of the Apostle Paul to the Colossian church. It's a church uh, where the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus has reached their city. Many people have responded and have turned to, again, to put their faith in Jesus and to live as followers of Jesus. And then they've gathered together as the church in this church has emerged. And in this letter, Paul is writing to the church uh, with real encouragement for them, addressing some issues that he needs to touch on. But we're going to look at the very early part of this letter. So we're going to be in chapter one. We're going to read from verse nine. And this is what Paul writes to the church. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we've got this church, these gathered believers, those who have heard the gospel, they've heard the message of Jesus and they've responded to it and they've gathered together. And in these verses that we've just uh, read, 
that we've just heard, we see Paul's heart revealed to them in this prayer that he prays for them. And he, he prays for them to grow in their faith and in their maturity. He prays for wisdom, for understanding that they would live in a worthy manner. What that means is that their lives would reflect their relationship with God, this new relationship that they now have with God. He prays that they would be given to good works and these good works would, would bear fruit. They'd produce good things. He prays that their experience in their life is that they would be experiencing endurance and patience and joy. And that the lives that they would be living would be lives full of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. That's his prayer for the church. That's the life that he wants to see them live in. They're the, the things that he wants to see them living in the good of and exhibiting and experiencing for themselves. He's saying this is the life that you have been called to and it's different from the life that you were living before. Remember, we're thinking about identity. Something has changed. Something has shifted. And Paul's saying, look, your life is different now. But it's only possible because something has changed or rather because something has been done for us, which is why he says in, in uh, verse 13 to 14, he says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, redemption, we're going to be looking at that more next week. So we just kind of, in a way, we're going to park that to one side. We're going to pick that up next week. But our starting point in this series, the first truth of our identity of who we are in Christ is this. And it's what we're going to think about this morning, is that in Jesus, we have been forgiven of all our sins. Now, Sin seems to be a word that people uh, people avoid using these days. You might hear people, you might even do this yourself, uh, say, Look, I've, I've got a problem with or I made a mistake. That might maybe the sort of words we tend to use and the sort of phrasing we tend to use. But actually, it's not something that we should avoid talking about. It's not a word that we should avoid using, but we need to really understand what it is. And I think the story of the prodigal son actually helps us just to begin to understand what sin really is about. It's a really rich story. There's much we could take from it. Uh, but we're just going to think a little bit about that as we consider what sin is. See, in the parable of the prodigal son, um, Jesus told a story. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, uh, live in your best life now. For me, it kind of conjures up images of you, you, you know what you want. Uh, and you, you live the life that you think is the best life for you. Do what you need to in order to live the best life that you can. And in this story that Jesus told, he speaks about a young man. And it seems like this is a young man who thought he knew what his best life would look like. And he saw an opportunity to live that life. And he goes to his father and he asks for his inheritance. He asks for his share of his inheritance so he can then go off and do what he wants to do with it. And in that moment, as he asks the father for his inheritance, what he's essentially saying is, in a way, he's saying, you're, you're getting in the way of the life that I want to live. If you think about it, when would you normally receive an inheritance once someone has passed? And he's saying to the father, look, you're, you're kind of getting in the way of the life that I want to live. Can I have that now? We can see sin. I think actually uh, many people would see sin or, or their understanding of sin would be that of of breaking a law or a code. But actually at its root, it's a relational issue. It's a relational issue in terms of relationships with others, 
when we sin, often that can involve others. It can lead to hurt or um, bring difficulties in the relationships that we have with others. But primarily, it's a relational issue in terms of our relationship with God. Because when we sin, we go against his purposes for us and we're not trusting that his ways are the very best ways for us. And there was a point for all of us, maybe this is where you're at right now and you know that you, you haven't made a commitment to follow Jesus. And, and it could be that for, for us, uh, for, for all of us at some point, maybe this is where we're at now, we were living as if God didn't really matter. And that's even if we'd even thought of him at all in the way in which we were living. But the Bible is clear. The Bible says that we've all sinned. And because it's a relational issue, therefore, sin brings separation from God. And the Bible also says about sin, it says that the wages of sin is death. It's the ultimate separation from relationship with God. But from the moment that sin first entered, from that moment when people went their own way, God promised and he continued to promise again and again that he would send his son. And the reason that he would send his son, if we were to ask the question and, and why, the answer would be for forgiveness. I read an article recently by someone called Scott Hubbard, and he really helpfully, really concisely just uh, lays out this answer for us, that the reason why Jesus came was for forgiveness. And he says this, he says that the angel tells Joseph that Jesus will save his people from their sins. That's what the angel says to, says to Joseph. And then Zechariah tells us how that will happen when he says that, that, that um, he will save the people from their sins by the forgiveness of their sins. And then when Jesus began his ministry, he began um, his public ministry. He set his face towards sinners, forgiving even the worst or those that would be considered the worst of sinners. He taught us to pray. For forgiveness, And in his moment of greatest agony when he was on the cross, he actually prayed. What did he pray? He prayed, Father, forgive them. We just see through Jesus' life and through his ministry, forgiveness is just the current that runs through. And this is what Paul is saying in this letter to the Colossians in chapter 14. He says that it's in Jesus, it's in him that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Around 2,000 years ago, there was a day... In history when Jesus was crucified and on that day Jesus carried our sins to the cross he carried our sin our guilt and our shame and all of them were put to death with Jesus but death didn't have the final word in the sense that on a, on, on, on the third day Jesus rose to life and God declared that anyone who would be willing to turn from their own way, anyone who would surrender to Jesus and make him king of their life would be forgiven of all of their sins and be restored back into God's design. That's what Jesus made possible. And again, if we go back to what Paul was writing in verse 13, this is what he's talking about when he says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son it's through the work of Jesus on the cross. And as we look through Paul's prayer again, we see that it's all about relationship with God. And that relationship is only possible through the reconciliation that's been brought about by Jesus. 
Now, if we go back to, to take a step again and take a step uh, session one. And just again, it really helpfully points out that these are truths that we might know in our heads, but sometimes we struggle to carry the truth of them in our hearts. And this can be true when we think about and consider forgiveness. Could be that actually you're in a place now where you, you know that you've never asked God for forgiveness in, in any way, in any sense. So this might be something that you're hearing for the for the very first time. Or if you again, if you know that you're following Jesus and you've uh, you, you've done that, you, you've turned from your own ways and you've surrendered to Jesus and you've made him king of your life. You might still struggle with um, feelings of guilt or shame or knowing how it is that you could be forgiven or or feeling how can it be that you can come to God and ask for forgiveness. These can be things that we can struggle with and truths that we know in our heads, but really struggle to to, to hold in our hearts. And so for just a few minutes, I want us to uh, think on what the Bible says about God's forgiveness. We're going to look at some truths about God's forgiveness and we're going to take them in. What my heart is that you will really take them in and that they will take root in your in our hearts and in our minds. Now, if we go back to the story of the prodigal son, what happens is the prodigal son, he goes and he takes his money and he lives the life that he wanted to live. But what he finds is that nothing lasted and nothing truly satisfied. And he finds himself at this point where he's uh, working on a pig farm and he's in this pigsty and he's eating the pig's food. And he gets to this point, he has this come to moment where he thinks, I need to go back home. I need to go back to my father and I need to confess my sin to him. And I need to ask him just for any position at all in his household uh, that he that I might be received back. I know I might not be a son and he might not treat me as a son anymore, but just some role that I can find in his house. And he has this moment and he journeys back to the father. And you can imagine that he's just rehearsing this speech, what he's going to say over and over again in his mind. But Jesus tells us that while the son is far off, the father sees the son and he runs to meet him. And as he meets him, he throws his arms around him and he kisses him and he calls to his servants and he calls for a robe to be bought and put on his son and for, for rings to be put on his finger and shoes to be put on his feet and for a great party to get started because he wants to celebrate that his son has come home. And as Jesus shares this story, what he does is he reveals something of the father's heart when it comes to forgiveness. I mentioned Scott Hubbard just uh, a moment ago in that article that I'd read and something else that I found really helpful and just really, uh, yeah, just just really caught my attention in the article is he speaks about these, just some of these beautiful, this beautiful imagery that the Bible uses in terms of God's forgiveness. It speaks of a bridegroom who was adorning his bride with jewels and rejoicing over her newfound beauty. The Bible also speaks about a shepherd who finds his sheep who is lost and gathers it up in his arms and goes away singing and rejoicing that he had been found. As we've just heard, this imagery of a father running to us, robing us and then dancing till daybreak. You see, we can have this, uh, maybe we can have this thought or, or imagery or understanding in our mind of that how maybe God is somehow reluctant to forgive. But the picture the Bible paints is one that God is not slow. He's not miserly with his forgiveness. He's not reluctant to forgive, but rather he delights to forgive. He delights to forgive. Psalm 86 verse 5, the psalmist writes, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. 
abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Let's look at some other verses very quickly. Again, take hold of these. Going on from from today, think upon them often, particularly if this is something, the whole area of forgiveness is something that you struggle with. Allow these truths to really take root in your hearts and your minds. See, in Hebrews 8 verse 12, God makes this promise. He says that I will be merciful towards their iniquities, iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. God chooses to God chooses to forget our sins. He will not remember our sins. Psalm 103 verse 10, the psalmist writes about God. He says that he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's how far our sins have been taken from us. 1 John 1 verse 9, particularly, uh, yeah, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's another promise from God. See, when we're feeling guilty and we're feeling full of shame, we know that we can come to him if we know that we have sinned. We can come to him and know that he will remove our sin from us as far as the east is from the west and he will remember it no more. It might not always feel like that to us, but that is the truth of who God is and how he deals with us. Another article I read a little while ago was by Glenn Scrivener. And in there, he asks the question, Thinking about the story of the prodigal son, he asked the question, what is the turning point of the story? Is the turning point of the story in his coming to himself moment when he's in the pigsty and he realises what needs to be done? Something needs to change. I need to set this right. Is that the turning point in the story where he he's determined to clean up his act and he has his speech ready and prepared and ready to go? And then Glenn Scrivener says, no, that is not the key moment. That is not... The turning point of the story, the turning point of the story is in the father's embrace. Because it's in the father's embrace that the the son knows the change in his status. It's where he then receives the change in his heart. Those things happen in the arms of the father. True repentance occurs in the arms of the father. And this is also where ongoing repentance happens too. All of us will will need to to repent at various points because we know that sin, we we still have that battle with sin going on. But when we sin, we don't find ourselves again back in the pigsty, trying to find our way back into the father's arms. We are there again in his arms. It's not that we go between the two. I've sinned. I'm back in the pigsty. I've got to get back. I'm back in the pigsty, I've got to get back. No, we never leave the Father's arms. We never leave the Father's embrace. We are there, we are secure, we are held fast. And it's there that we come again and just confess our sins and receive forgiveness. And it's in his arms where we find ourselves at the start of this series. And it's in his arms where we find ourselves with this first truth of who we are in Jesus. That in Christ, we have been forgiven of all our sins. Now this morning, 
you might know, actually, I know I'm not following Jesus. I know I've not turned from my sin. I know I've not asked God for forgiveness. May I really urge you and encourage you if that's you and you're just feeling stirred by that today. Get in touch with someone you know that is following Jesus and talk to them about how you're feeling. Ask them to share with you what they know or get in touch with us. We would love to have that opportunity to to help you and to to kind of process that with you and to talk that through with you. If you're watching on on YouTube now, uh, you can even just put a note in in the chat and we'll find a way of of, of then connecting with you or use the details on our contact us page. It would be wonderful to have that chance. Please take that opportunity to talk with someone. We'd love to lead you through that. I just want to finish with this. I've heard it said that we know that the, the, the true value of something is how much someone is willing to pay for it. And I think when we look to the cross, we see what it costs for our forgiveness and for us to be restored to the Father. But God's forgiveness does not mainly emphasise our worth, but Jesus's. I think this is really important. See, when God forgives us, he declares the beauty, the merits, the love, the grace, the obedience, the glory of Jesus. Forgiveness is good for us. It's necessary for us. But when God forgives us, he shines a light on Jesus, on his beloved son and on what he has accomplished. We're going to come now and we're going to sing a song together. We're going to sing in Christ alone, which just declares about the hope that we have in Jesus. It's a hope. It's it's a song of, of, of praise and of worship and of thanksgiving. I'd really encourage you to really give yourselves as by way of response, as a way of thanking Jesus for what he's done. But you might know at this point that there are there's sin in your life that you need to deal with. This is a good time to deal with it. Don't let it linger any longer. Come back to those promises. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and remember their sins no more. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let's stand on the truth of those promises through scripture. And even in these moments, let's just, if we need to, let's just bring our confessions to God, knowing that he will forgive us, knowing that we're not having to try and get ourselves back from the pigsty into his arms. We're already in his arms. So let's confess in that place, knowing that he loves to forgive, knowing that he delights to forgive. Let's come and sing together as we thank God for those promises and we thank God for Jesus.